Did you guys know that Texas Slim has now made it to Tennessee? It's been a 10-day jaunt, and I've made it uh, all the way to the back roads and the hollers of Tennessee, close to the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. And right now, guess what? I'm with a very, very good friend, and I'm creating a docu-series, an audio docu-series. I'll be releasing these through our Substack and also through our podcasting 2.0 setup that Adam Curry just uh, helped us uh, navigate and engineer the last couple of weeks. Thank you, Adam Curry. We're going to do some experimenting. What I want to do, though, is uh, right now I want to introduce a very good friend. A lot of you guys already know him, and uh, his name is Charles Mayfield. He is a regenerative farmer and rancher here in Tennessee, close to a place called Decatur, Tennessee. Also, he is uh, he is the creator, the founder of Faro.life. Faro.life. Faro. I keep on saying Faro. Faro.life. And basically what we're going to talk about a little bit today is how we got here uh, as friends, how Charles is basically, this has been his stomping grounds ever since he was a little kid. Hello, Charles. How are you? Slim, I'm doing great, man. It's it's a real pleasure to have you in uh, in Tennessee. Yeah, it is. I've been I've been wanting to come to Tennessee my whole life. I just haven't told a lot of people about it. But of course, I'm saying that I've been through Tennessee many, many times. But we were just eating some Tennessee barbecue, and uh, we'll just leave it at that. We said we weren't going to. Uh, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about not Tennessee and Texas barbecue. That's just not a place that we're going to go, and we respect that. Those ribs were damn good, though. Thank you. Yeah, there's this thing in Tennessee, you know, they, they do hog well here. And that's something that you've been able to leverage. And so I want to go straight into, let's go into where you came from and how you ended up doing, uh, making lard and making skin products out of that lard. Sure. So we're, uh, <clears throat> we're, we're in 10 Mile, Tennessee at the moment. Um, I've got a, a ha house here that a friend of mine's... Um, agreed to let Slim and I hang out at for a couple of days and do some of these recordings and brainstorm the future. But uh, I grew up uh, in Athens, Tennessee. It's about 15, 20 minutes uh, east of here. And so, uh, yeah, this house is actually awesome. One of my best, dearest friends growing up, uh, the house was built in 1906. And um, it's an amazing, amazing house. Uh, glad to have you here. But, uh, but yeah, so I grew up in East Tennessee. My family, my family's background was dairy farming. Uh, by the time I came along, uh, my early adolescent years, uh, our dairy business was really more of a milk bottler than a, than an active working dairy farm. I, I have fond memories as a kid of milking some cows and seeing some cows, but, but the family business, uh, really by the time I was coming of age was really more of a milk bottler and, 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 uh, Mayfield, the, the brand Mayfield was a very, very highly respected, uh, high quality brand in the Southeast. Uh, but farming was really nothing that ever really popped out to me. Uh, migrated South, went to, uh, Atlanta for college, went to Georgia tech, graduated there in 97 and jumped into financial services. Um, I was a, a insurance and certified financial planner for a number of years, but along that journey, sort of ran into uh, ran into CrossFit at some point, 
and that really got me interested in nutrition. Ran into the paleo diet or protocol sometime around 2008, 2009. Uh, got to meet a great guy named Rob Wolf uh, along that path. And um, so I, I, at some point, I helped co-author uh, several paleo cookbooks. And it was really the paleo community. Um, we've talked about this before, Slim, but um, there's an annual conference in Austin, Texas called Paleo FX. And um, they started that, I want to say, in 2012. And that was really where my interest in farming was peaked. Uh, the first couple of years of Paleo FX, there was a whole lot of arguing over protein, carbs, and fat, and macros, and micros, and Everybody's sort of trying to trying to lay their claim to the best nutritional protocol, mm -hmm. and and I, I remember it uh, very clearly. It was it was probably around 2015 that the 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 I don't know the conversation there made made some major shifts, and and so started really talking more about food security, uh, regenerative agriculture, building soil sequestering carbon, access, you know, access to local food. And so you started to see, you started to see Epic uh, brands show up. You, uh, the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Uh, these are these are people now that are showing up and having booths at the Paleo FX conference. The Texas, uh, was it Texas Health Alliance? What's, um, Judith? Yeah, Judith. Uh, yeah. Farm and uh, farm, farm Ranch Freedom, Freedom Alliance. Freedom Alliance. Yes. Farm Ranch Freedom Alliance. I, I met Judith in, in, in Austin. And so I met, you know, Polyface Farms through through the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. Anyway, that so the paleo scene was really where my interest was peaked. And uh, my, my ex-wife and I had, you know, just published this uh, fairly successful uh, cookbook, Paleo Comfort Foods. And uh, the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund was doing their first ever fundraiser at Polyface. And this would have been, gosh, this would have been 2014. And for those who don't know, Polyface Farms is uh, Joe Salatin. Joel. Yep. Joel Salatin out of Polyface. He was, Joel came to some prominence, quite a bit of prominence. He was featured uh, in Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. This is a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, if you haven't read that book for your listeners, it's a, it's a great template uh, into... Two people in the last two days being in Nashville and Knoxville told me to read that book. Oh, as well. it's a, yeah, it's 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 foundational. <laughs> yeah, and, and Pollen's an amazing writer. It, uh, there's a bunch of his stuff. I would recommend you read any of his stuff. But anyway, the Omnivore's Dilemma um, featured Joel. Um, uh, Michael Pollen uh, went and spent quite a few days. Uh, he's a, he's a deep diver on this sort of investigative journalism and writing, and so he spent some time at Polyface. This is up in. Um, the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. And so anyway, so that's Joel. And, and so they, they hosted the first ever uh, fundraiser for the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. And uh, Sally Fallon Morell mm -hmm. of the Weston A. Price Foundation, she was there. It was a big, it was a big event. And, and Julie and I, uh, we actually, I think we traveled up with my parents. And our son, Scott, was maybe one and a half or two at the time. And we went up, and that was my first trip to Polyface. And 
for those that ask me, I, I tell them it's it's like Mecca. I love I love going up there. And Joel's got a very interesting story, um, a story that I you know I think we're we're both hoping to replicate all over the country when it in terms of like taking you know fallow land that's just been stripped and stripped and stripped, and really hoping and 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 trying and working every day to rebuild the soil, rebuild the ecology, and and you know you do that through you know, proper animal husbandry and management. And so, um, man, I, I, I'm trying to remember what the original question was. But. No, it's, it's like a good introduction. I mean, it's, this is, you know, low key and everything. I just want everybody to kind of understand we're sitting on a, a back porch, an old, uh, old Southern Tennessee home built in 1906, I believe. And we're looking out and I see fireflies. We just saw about three or four deer. Uh, it's peaceful. Um, man, and, and I get to stay out here for two to three or four days and kind of do my, my content and everything that I got to catch up on. But this is actually very, very peaceful. Um, a lot of people don't know that this type of, um, you know, environment exists anymore. A lot of people get wrapped up in all the, the fear porn out there, everything that's going on in the world. And that's why I wanted to do this Texas to Tennessee barn raising tour, was to really kind of shine a light on what's going on kind of underneath the covers, you know, kind of what's, what, what are we doing that's not being overly, you know, looked at by mainstream people that are out there that watch TV, they listen to the, the same audio and video content every day. What I see is there's a, there's a big group of people. I mean, you came from paleo. I don't know shit about paleo, right? I really don't. But what I do know is that, you know, there's been an attack on, you know, the, the American rancher, the animal producer, animal protein. There's a coordinated attack that's going on. And whenever I founded the Beef Initiative, you and I really had some, we already, we knew each other before I even said, hey, this is going to be called the Beef Initiative. You know, yep. what we did, we were talking about food intelligence. And that's how we basically both were able to kind of join up and we started collaborating just with ideas and the people that you knew and lo and behold, I mean, once, you know, we, we got to talk to Joe Salatin. We had, you know, a conversation with them. We, we got to go out there and we got to meet Will Harris at White Oak Pastures. There's something that's been pretty magical and it's happened pretty fast within six to seven months that here we are, I'm in Texas, uh, coming up to Tennessee and we've got something that, you know, I get to announce right now is that I went out to Nashville and you've got the Nashville group in the Bitcoin world. Well, they've established a new headquarters there and it's called NashBitcoiners.com and it's called Bitcoin Park. Well, what we're going to do within the Beef Initiative, and you've played a big part of this, is that we're going to have a headquarters there in Nashville at Bitcoin Park. I uh, talked with Rod. I talked with Matt O'Dell out there. We've got Mills. Those are the three founders. They're very, very prominent people in the Bitcoin world. But guess what? They can't get enough of what you've established here in Tennessee and kind of the lifestyle that you've engineered for yourself. And, you know, you come from these areas and you, you, you've been around the country. You've you lived in, you know, Georgia, Atlanta and everything. But you've come back here. You're, you're basically stewarding the land you're stewarding hogs beef fowl and um you know you're moving forward and how did you get to where you're going to turn lard into a skincare product <laughs> that's why i got you here man i think i think that was the original question you were circling back around so yeah i uh 
so Pharaoh, Pharaoh is really, uh, uh, I guess a Pharaoh is an intersection of a bunch of different. I've had this fair, fairly diverse background with financial planning and insurance, and uh, I ran a Atlanta started founded and, and ran Atlanta Strength and Conditioning in Atlanta for a, a decade and the paleo thing. And, and so in 2000, in 2019, I, um, we, we started a company, a hemp company, uh, sort of connected with the farm. That's a, that's a whole nother interview for another day. But long story short is, uh, there was, there was a particular day, July 5th, 2019, where, um, I had been up for two consecutive days. We had planted, uh, 4th of July, 2019, we planted about 20 acres of hemp and, uh, figured out about 9:30 that night that the irrigation was not functioning properly. And I don't know if you've ever grown hemp, but, uh, if it, it needs a lot of water. And so it's thirsty, it, yeah. it's very thirsty and we weren't getting to get any rain the next day. And so one of my buddies, uh, that was there helping us on the farm, he and I stayed up all night, got it fixed. Everything was good. And of course the next day rolls around. What do you do? You just grit your teeth and keep working. And so I got home that evening, uh, to a particularly gruesome sunburn. <sighs> Uh, I mean, you know, you've heard the term lobster. I was, I was cooked, man. And, you know, at the time, uh, Julie and I were, we were going through our divorce. And so that, uh, she, I think she was out of town. So I'm sort of sitting at home alone, fried to a crisp and the medicine cabinet for whatever reason was empty. And, you know, I, I've got this culinary background from my cookbooks and I was raising these pigs and beef and chicken and all that, but I had a jar of, of lard of my lard in the refrigerator. And, you know, long story short, I lathered that stuff up on my body and lo and behold, you know, a couple of days later, <clears throat> I only put it on twice. And a couple of days later, the, um, the sunburn was gone. And I thought, man, that's, that's pretty slick. And when it went away, I, it, I started paying attention to my skin, you know, and for the next, I'd say two or three weeks, I just, I just kept an eye on my skin. I was, I was waiting to see when I peeled and I never peeled, not like, not, not one bit. And so, you know, that was a, that was a real watershed moment for me because intuitively, you know, you always peel and sure, you know, and they got the aloes and the this and the that and all these creams. And so, um, that was the light bulb moment. And of course, you know, you go on the line DIY creams. And so I spent probably six or seven months tinkering with what I would call your standard, <clears throat> standard cream, skin cream, uh, recipe, which is an emulsification of, you know, 20, 25% fat, 70, 75% water and a little waxy emulsifier in, in between. And I made some amazing creams in that time, but I could never keep them from going rancid, like almost immediately. I, I don't think I had one cream last longer than a week and that, and that was me putting in the refrigerator. So I just kept banging my head against the wall and started doing some research into preservatives and there's some natural preservatives with essential oils. And so I tried that It just nothing really ever clicked. And it was about, I don't know. It was probably six to eight months into just tinkering. 
And I thought, you know, the water's the problem. Mm-hmm. It's it's the thing that's giving giving life to this mold. And well, you you've cooked bacon, right? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. So what do you you know you take ba- you know it's, it's it's just tying all this stuff together. So you you cook bacon and you're done cooking bacon. You got this you know cast iron skillet full of grease. Well, what do you do? You you pour all that off in a jar, mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'll just leave the, I'll put the top on the jar, but it just stays on my kitchen counter for... Oh, man, I just put it in a coffee cup. I oh, don't even co- put a lid on there it. There you go. It just sits and there, And it just man. caps off, and, it, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's good for a couple months. Sure. And so I thought, well, you know, why not just get rid of the water and, um, and, and so I, I, I bagged the water... And this is when I brought in some tallow. You know, again, it was just lard was my primary fat. But for your listeners that don't know, you know, tallow, lard, leaf lard, these are all animal-based fats. Tallow's from beef, and lard and leaf lard are from from a pig. And they all have at room temperature. They all have different viscosities. So right. tallow's solid as a rock at room temperature. And so my thought was, in sort of starting to formulate a full-fat skin cream. I wanted it to have a whippy, you know, creaminess to mm-hmm. it. And so brought in a little tallow, started playing with it, but we went to a full fat and I, I run a small, you were, you were there today, got a little, little nickel tour, but I run a small, you know, regenerative meat farm. And so I have customers, uh, predominantly Atlanta, Chattanooga, a few locally. And so I just started experimenting with this stuff, whipping it up in the kitchen and I would, I, you know, ordered a bunch of jars and just started taking it to people. And, um, and you know, I got mixed reviews, which any product's going to, but I never, no, no one ever told me, man, this stuff doesn't work. You know, some people didn't like the smell. I, I used lavender early on, played with a couple of different things. But anyway, you know, by and large, everyone really liked the way their skin felt. And so... This is getting into 2021. Uh, 2020, coming into 2021, um, I don't know if you remember what happened in uh, 2020 and 2021, <laughs> but uh, we Just had a little bit. we had a few things uh, disrupt uh, our our entire world, and so. From a farming standpoint, things got a little dicey. Like you couldn't get processing dates. Um, you know, my 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 demand went way up, right. but my ability to 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 meet that demand was was hampered a good bit. And of course, I was, you know, the hemp business was sort of winding down. I had I had way too many irons in the fire, but um, but I I decided in in early twenty twenty to to I had sort of had Pharaoh on the shelf for a little bit. I decided to dust it back off and get pretty serious about it. I had one of my good friends like, man, that stuff was really good. Let's, let's figure out how to, how to do something with it. And so, yeah, so we started, I started uh, getting very serious about developing the product. Uh, got with an esthetician down in Atlanta. We formulated a, you know, proprietary essential oil blend. And, uh, and, and so we, I, I probably sent out a thousand samples of this stuff in 2020. I was just mailing it to anybody I could, I could convince to try it. And again, overwhelming feedback. Well, you know, the, the the any negative feedback was, well, I don't really like this scent. You know, this 
scent. Um, but in terms of like how it made people's skin feel and various conditions that it was helpful with, I mean, it was just, it was just unbelievable. And so we tried to, to launch a Kickstarter, um, uh, in 2020, I want to say it was fall of 2020, summer to fall. And we're, we're unsuccessful. You know, you gotta, you gotta meet your whole goal. I probably set it too high, but, but, uh, but when that didn't come to fruition, uh, sort of gritted my teeth. I got, uh, was fortunate enough. I got a, a loan from, uh, through the SBA. And so we, we jumped up and launched this sucker in January of this year. Uh, Faro.life is the website. Uh, by, by all accounts, we're the first lard-based uh, skincare company in the country. There's, there's, there's one company I saw on Etsy somewhere but they weren't they weren't necessarily doing the same creams type, type style creams we were doing but uh, yeah i haven't seen anybody do lard i mean i've seen tallow tallow's everywhere yeah, and tallow's yeah. fantastic it I, is I, yeah you know I, there's a I, I met a couple of really great there's a company now out of uh, fairhope alabama toops and co uh there's vans man or man's van mm -hmm. i think is another great tallow based company and tallow's fantastic um we use it yeah uh, in, in our stuff. Uh, but I, I gotta tell you the, the lard works in mysterious ways, my friend. <laughs> I love how the lard works in mysterious <laughs> ways. And so, yeah, we, we, and you've been very helpful. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's been fun to watch the gestation and, 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 and launch of Pharaoh, you know, you know, really alongside what's been going on with you and the beef initiative. And, right. and I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled for your friendship. I'm, really excited you you made a stop in Tennessee but uh, but yeah I think we've got so so quickly and this is this is the thing I think that resonates most but between the two of us is um, you don't get the benefits of Pharaoh without raising healthy ecologically nourishing meat yeah right and so uh, you know and, and people ask me all the time like what is regenerative agriculture? And it's got a lot of names. I, I I have boiled it down to, I can say it in two ways. Regenerative agriculture, in my mind, is first, it's putting more back than it takes. So it's it's not extractive mm -hmm. in terms of the ecology. Uh, I think saying it more plainly, it builds dirt and soil. It's making, it's, it's actually producing soil. And, you know... That's one of these things where, hi, you're getting a call from hey, Cole. Big Cole. Hey, Cole, what's going on? <laughs> I'll send him a text. You keep on talking. Uh, I'm well, back. For, for your listeners out there, Cole Bolton, Cole Bolton, the uh, head head rancher for KNC Cattle. Yes. I got to meet Cole in uh, Kerrville when we were out there. Great guy. Exactly. So, uh so yeah, I mean, we, we, we have a we're depleting our soils. Uh, this is a global problem, but certainly here in the U.S., uh, it's it's a it's a horrific problem. And you know the the holistic land management, pasture based, rotationally grazed. Uh, you'll hear a whole bunch of different terms: manage intensive grazing, grazing, mig grazing. Uh, you got some really amazing people in this country. You know, we, you've mentioned some, you know, Joel Salatin, Will Harris, Gabe Brown, 
there's a there's a bunch of I mean you know Mayfield pastures for that degree, but we're just so small. But but that's okay. I mean that's what people. I think the scalability of of uh, mindset and the scalability of what you're actually delivering with what you have in front of you. You know, let's let's quit thinking about you know this global um, type of mentality. Uh, you know, with with that perspe- perspective and perception of how we go about this as far as regenerative ag or growing soil. You know, whenever we're growing soil, what you're doing with you know the lard in your skincare product is you're leveraging something like you said. You're basically providing a very, very valuable input back into the soil itself. Whenever you put that valuable input into the soil by using the animals to be the land tools of the soil itself, of the grass and of the soil, and basically learning how to leverage something that is that positive. And it's fascinating to me that we live in a world that is that ignorant and is that against exactly, you know, basically something that our grandfathers did and this cove back in here pretty much on 10 mile i mean this has been here for hundreds of years and look at at the beauty of it the foothills of the smoky mountains right now and the beauty that i've seen coming to tennessee whenever i left tennessee it looked like the damn dust bowl if anybody looks at my channel on twitter there's a video up there and that's exactly if it would have been black and white i could have really said that this is a dust bowl But the thing about it is, you know, there's regenerative agriculture going on in the Texas Panhandle as well, just like you are doing here in Tennessee. Uh, People need to put perspectives together that, you know, I've always told everybody that the beef initiative really, for one thing, it's, it's kind of an international lifestyle. It's something that you can leverage in every direction. Yes, we are about the beef initiative. It is about beef because I come from Texas. But one thing that I see with the awakening and the awareness, especially after the last two years, is that there's more people searching for a different lifestyle. And they want to basically source that lifestyle with a little bit more truth and a little bit more innovation that directly comes from the soil. I've been working with Cole, of course, that just called us, and then Jason Rick of Rick Branches. Yep. And, you know, we're going to have our uh, Colorado Beef Initiative Conference out there July 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. It's a three-day conference. And, you know, our conferences that we're having, you know, they're about Bitcoin. They're about education. They're about mining. They're about soil. They're about regenerative ag. They're about stewarding the land. They're about basically creating a new market access to a new lifestyle that basically is a health initiative in the long run. And I think whenever people can kind of funnel all of those that, you know, on this perimeter of thought and, you know, intentionality and how do I get all this under one envelope, if you do look at basically understanding soil more, how it's regrown, and that that leads to a, a, a form of health that, that basically our ancestors had, and that's what exactly you and I are, really it comes down the health of our children, doesn't it? And this is this is a pathway that we are able to tap into, and we don't have to ask a lot of permission. What we do is we leverage from our past, we leverage from getting our asses sunburnt, and we leverage our 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 daily lives of what we're trying to do in our lifestyles, and we understand that there's a lot of opportunities out there to really create some some new um, health, of course, but a new uh, clarity of mind. And the, the, the type of people that we're meeting across this journey has been fascinating to me. And one thing that you are very good about is you've made a lot of connections. 
And, you know, me coming to Tennessee is one major reason is that everybody asks me, you know, is the beef initiative, you know, is this uh, just a Texas thing? You no, hell no, it's not just a Texas thing. This is this is basically a community thing that we, we focus on the community level, but ba basically we broadcast it over a global network that we're trying to build. And so having Texas and Tennessee now kind of creating these nodes, you and I talk yep. about nodes a lot. That's what we're doing. We're creating these nodes of intentional people that are wanting to hear and wanting to be a part of something that they can see that there is some truth there. And there is a kind of a path to a new from joy, kind of empowerment. Are you seeing that with uh, with what you're doing in this this last six months? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing uh, I, I love the awareness. You know, I, I, I we were before we started recording, we were just talking about just the, the food intelligence aspect of what you're doing and you know uh, what happened what happened with me was so i had this deep steep steeping or deep understanding of of nutrition right and you know i had this i had this watershed moment with the sunburn and i took i took that lens that i had been viewing the food world through and I shined it over on skincare. And, you know, for your listeners that don't know, they, you know, a lot of people, they call our skin our second stomach. We do, a, humans do a great deal of consumption mm -hmm. through our skin, uh, whether that's exposure to the sun for vitamin D metabolization or just, you know, I mean, if you've ever run across a poison ivy or poison oak, you, you know that your skin can absorb all sorts of things, good and bad. And, you know, I cast this lens over here and, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy slim, but I tell people, you know, I, here I had, you know, 10 years plus in the, in the health and uh, fitness and lifestyle coaching world. And I thought they let bad crap in our food, dude. It's, it's disgusting what they let in our skincare. And again, for, for, for your listeners that don't understand this, if something absorbs through your skin, it's immediately in your bloodstream, right? If you swallow something, you know, you got this highly acidic gut, you've got all these various, you know, um, uh, processes in your, in your GI tract that break things down. And even then, you know, your, your body, your small intestines, all the microvilli in your, in your small intestines, they still have to, they have to pull those things into your body. So just because it goes in your mouth doesn't mean it ends up in your body. I mean, we've got toilets all over the country that can attest to that. <laughs> but the point is that if it gets in your skin, dude, it's there. And, you know, just like you've been on this, this journey of educating yourself about food intelligence, I'm starting to dive deeply into skin health intelligence. And, you know, it's we were talking before we hopped on recording. I mean... It's the same story. It's it's corruption. It's little to no consumer protection. I mean, the the the, the major legislation still running the show, if you want to call it that, for for cosmetics and skincare is the is the Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act of 1938. 1938, and in that act. The as it relates to skincare and cosmetics, 
the only things that require pre-market testing are color additives. Mm-hmm. Okay. No chemicals. No, no, no. If it's not a color additive, you don't have to pre-market test it. And then the only, um, the only protocol for uh, something going bad or being pulled off the shelf has to do with it uh, uh, being, being adulterated. So going bad or if it's mislabeled. And then, you know, along, I think in 1973 or four, somewhere in the mid seventies, they updated, they passed another, another act. Um, the food drug safety act, I think of 19- something like that. It, something was, like it that. was in 73, 74, of course, for everybody out there in Bitcoin world, that was after they debased the U S dollar and uh, went off the gold standard. Yes. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of shady crap happened in the <laughs> yeah, early seventies. Well, well, I, I was born in 74. So this is, this is all history to me, but, um, but in that act, they, they excluded cosmetics mm-hmm. for, for safety. And so here we sit today, you know, there's, I think there's 11 prohibited chemicals in, in the U S according to the FDA in our skincare, uh, as a, as a comparison for your listener, there's over 1300 prohibited or, um, or, uh, or illegal chemicals in, uh, under the EU. Mm-hmm. And say that again, how many in the United States? 11. 11. How much in the EU? 1300. 1300. Yeah. All right. So we've got a Delta there of, you know, 1,289 chemicals yeah. that the EU says should not be in skincare. I mean, formaldehyde. There's a good one. We, yeah. we, we you know, That's it's good. great for tightening up your skin. Apparently, <laughs> if but, you get um, the, yeah, if you got the right source, you can get that. You know, you know, and get some beauty treatment with the formaldehyde. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and so I, you know, I'm on this, I'm on this journey now of trying to, you know, add skin health intelligence to sort of my repertoire and you know I, I've, I've sort of decided this is the hill i'm going to die on i mean I've, I've mentioned i mentioned rob wolf and you know there's a bunch of really amazing people out there you know, whether it's huberman or um uh dr Rhonda patrick or um rob wolf mark sisson mm-hmm. chris kresser i mean there's a there's a, a million brilliant minds in the diet nutrition you know, keto, carnivore, all that uh, paleo space. Um, not so much in skincare, although I'm I'm seeking them out. But uh, it's 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 really alarming that not only the chemicals that they let in, but the, just the lack of testing. Yeah. And so. Well, let's give that a perspective real quick because you know that has to go through the FDA, right? I mean, that's the one that's going to say this. So in October of this past year, the FDA won a lawsuit in which they were basically this year alone in 2022, and I've said this a thousand times, but I have to say it again, is that the FDA won a lawsuit to where they could basically inject 2,000 more chemicals into our food supply and they don't have to say anything about them. It's under the grass rule, generally recognized as safe. And so that's that's for consumption, consumption alone. I believe through skincare products, I don't even know how many thousands of chemicals that are coming through this year. And they did it under the guise of, of course, COVID. There's a lot of things that happened in the last two years that a lot of people are not understanding when it comes to food intelligence, skin intelligence, 
uh, consumption models, market access. Things are about to happen in this world that a lot of people don't understand. There's a major industrial global food industry shift happening and people are still looking at the food shelves in the supermarkets and they're thinking that they're covered, but really maybe they are. Maybe they have enough inventory. Maybe they have enough to consume there, but what they don't understand is once again, we're stacking layers of a fake commodity system on top of a fake commodity system in which basically what happens, we become nutritionally starved. And if, if people do not understand in the last two years that we are metabolically bankrupt as a country and our kids are suffering from uh, diabetes at the ages of 5 and 11 and 46% of our children between the ages of 5 and 11 are now obese or overweight, once again, that's from the CDC. So everybody that needs to follow the CDC, that's what they're reporting. So that's probably not even accurate. I'm sure it's got to be more than that. But by saying all of that you know we're here for solutions and i think that everything that everybody out there that listens to this is we're about solutions and how do we move forward and by basically you and i me driving i don't know it's about two thousand miles that i put back you know the last 10 days i went through mississippi i went through not mississippi i'm sorry i went through missouri i went through arkansas of course texas oklahoma uh, tapped in a little bit of Illinois, a little bit of Kentucky, and of course here in Tennessee, I'm going to be going to North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Alabama for sure, Georgia for sure, and then I might go back through, of course, Tennessee, because what we're going to do here in the state of Tennessee, in saying that we have the beef initiative here, the Tennessee Beef Initiative, we've created a lot of good connections. And one thing that you bring to the table now is that you want to educate and you're able to educate every day because you have a very, very intentional audience that's listening to you. Um, by saying that, you and I were having a conversation today, and it's like, why did Slim pick Tennessee for the Beef Initiative? Well, there's many, many reasons, but one of it is the regenerative movement there is that, that a lot of people don't see. Also, of course, that you, you are in the hog business, the hog industry in Tennessee, which is pretty prevalent. You know, we are in the South, there's, there's a hog business. A lot of people don't think there's that much of a cattle industry in the state of Tennessee, but I think you think something differently that a lot of people just don't understand that there's a possibility for some new awareness as far as basically uh, the beef industry in Tennessee. I, yeah, I think, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we, we grow quite a, I mean, you're from Texas, dude. I, I'm not, you know, it's like, I don't even want to talk about the barbecue. I don't want to talk about who grows more cows. The thing, uh, the thing that I love about, uh, Tennessee, you know, and for your listener, <clears throat> let's talk about, let's talk about some of the crap you hear out there. That's just not true. You know, all this, you know, beef and greenhouse gas crap. Um, well, yeah, I, you know, beef emits greenhouse gases. They emit methane when they eat and burp and all that fun stuff. That That's not the whole story, see, because the methane that that cow burps into the air, if you follow that methane through its full cycle, in 10 years, it's water. Right. Right. It's And so, you know, this is, I love science. You know, even the term science has been corrupted quite a bit in the last couple years. But, you know, the problem with, with science is you can reduce something so small that you, you don't see the total picture. And so, uh, you know, and they've done this down at, down at White Oak Pastures. But you can sequester more carbon out of the air. You can, you can create a, a carbon sink 
pound of ground beef by raising the animals in a way that builds soil and work with nature, not against it. And the reason I want to bring that up, uh, you know, Tennessee does have a, a fairly, uh, fairly prominent beef industry. 99% of that industry is selling into the feedlot system. Exactly. And so it's, you know, it's, it's open graze. It's not a lot of, you know, listen, I don't blame any farmer for following the standard protocol that the land grant universities profess because they, they're supposed to be an authority. You know, the land grant universities, all of them have been captured by the, you know, the chemical and the, and the fertilizer companies. For Did y'all hear that? Let's let's repeat that again. I'll I'll say it out loud. The institutions have been captured in a way, and the the true education has gone bye bye. Oh, it's well, yeah. It's I mean, it, it, there's there's glimmers of hope here and there. However, all of the money, all of the money flows through these chemical fertilizer companies, these pesticide companies, these seed companies. Uh, you know, it, it's, that's, that's where all the money flows to and from. And, you know, you've got revolving doors between the USDA, the FDA, you know, the, the major meat and, and chemical producers. I mean, it's just a revolving door. You can, you can do your own little Google search, although you might have to go to DuckDuckGo to figure this out. But the point is, I guess the, the point is, one of the misnomers about agricultural land in this country is people think, that most of that land is tillable, <laughs> and it's simply not. It's the the term is called marginal. So marginal, marginal agricultural land, which makes up, as I recall, it makes up about sixty to seventy percent of the agricultural land in this country. And what does marginal mean? Well, it means it's too rocky, or too steep, or too this or too that, and you can't run a plow through it, or a combine over it, or a Name your particular scaled-up farming implement. You just, in other words, you can't grow grain, hmm. right? You can't grow corn. You can't grow wheat. You can't grow soybeans. Well, what can you grow? Well, I have beef. I've got pork, and I've got poultry. And the poultry are two-wheel drive, but they're very effective. But the beef and the pork are all four-wheel drive machines. They love going up and down hills. They don't care. Uh, so we, it gives us the opportunity to leverage, leverage land that for agricultural purposes in this day and age is effectively fallow. Right. I mean, you're even hard-pressed to cut hay on the land if it's too rocky or too hilly. And so it, it, it really gives us the opportunity to leverage that. And specifically here in East Tennessee, I mean, we're in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. You, you, uh, I don't want to brag too much. I don't want too many people moving here. But, <laughs> but we, have a, we have a fairly uh, unique and beautiful part of the world. Uh, but it is mountainous and it's hilly. And, and, and so I look at uh, East Tennessee, even, even Middle Tennessee up on the plateau, and to some even greater degree uh, West Tennessee as you get over closer to Memphis we have a, a real opportunity to leverage this land that we have and become a you know a, a, a real source of local I'd like to see you know I'd like to see the, the switch flip you know if if 50% of the beef grown in this state stayed in this state, There'd be beef on the shelves all the time. People yep. would have access all the time. And, and you know, you cut your carbon footprint down. You're not 
hauling beef to the Midwest to have it probably slaughtered, butchered, and sent overseas. Most well, of our quality. We already, yeah, we already know that happens. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I, I'm I'm thrilled you're here. Ten, I think Tennessee oper, uh, offers a, a, an immense opportunity. You know, the culture here is fantastic. This is an agricultural state. It's um, it's got it's got very deep agricultural roots. Um, you know, all, all the way back as far as you want to go. Uh, East Tennessee is is particularly interesting in that we've got you know we've got a nice beautiful river that flows through here, the Tennessee River. We've got these mountains. We've got a, a, a very friendly climate. Four four solid seasons a year. Uh, you know, presents its challenges uh, here and there. Um, you know, six hours up the roads, Joel Salatin mm-hmm. and Polyface up in the Shenandoah Valley. You know, again, I call that place Mecca. I'd love to make a Mecca here in East Tennessee. Well, I think that's what we're going to... That's what we're trying to do, right? Well, I think, we, well, we've got leverage right now. We've got some people, you know, that are stun- they're starting to understand and hear what we're we're saying. You brought up something that it, it's, it's going to be a long educational series of this phrase that I'm going to come up with to be able to truly dissect what it truly means and how much it's been captured in the past. And that's something as simple as some, saying something like market access. Market access in this country to a great nutritional food supply is captured by four global processing companies that are the processors and the packers and they are the market access to basically allowing us to eat every day 85 percent of our population only eats in the united states of america because four processing centers say you get to eat and guess who takes the uh the brunt of that and who makes the less money the animal producer themselves absolutely and and that's what we've done in texas what have we done well cole bolton he is he is he's the fourth generation texas rancher but you know he is part of the beef initiative he was steadfast from the very beginning understanding a vision that is now coming true right before our eyes when earlier we said we're going to do a vertical integration into human health so the beef initiative the protocol of the beef initiative is we start with the soil to the grass to the producer to the processor to the supplier to market access back into human health well guess what in the state of texas the beef initiative now has that market access all the way from the soil to the grass to the producer and the processing center cole bolton is now going to open up a very clean extremely clean processing center in the state of texas guess what there's going to be a new market access across the state of texas that has probably never been done in the way that we're doing it um by saying that what does that mean for you know farmers and ranchers like you said there's a lot of factory farming you know feedlot farming well, we're already betting right now. We're qualifying five new producers that will be coming through the beef initiative, and they're going to follow the regenerative protocol in which Cole Bolton has established. That's what they've needed. They've needed that understanding that they now have somebody that will not be a bottleneck from them being a farmer and a rancher. I don't think that the general public has a hard under a hard time being able to understand that. But they, what they need to start understanding, and that's what I'm trying very hard to do, is, is get the clarity out there. If you do not have market access to your food supply, if you do not know the producer in which is producing and feeding your family, there's probably a good chance that you're cheating yourself out of health, out of basically a good lifestyle. But number one thing, 
a damn good relationship with somebody that's very intentional about what they do. So by saying all of that, you know, we've got several processing centers that will probably be coming up through Texas, producers coming through these processing centers. So Texas is going to be very established. Uh, Cole Bolton is going to be extremely busy, and I'm going to keep him busy with the beef initiative because all of the clientele that we're bringing, you know, it's through the Bitcoin community, but it's also the regenerative, uh, the model that people are very attracted to. In Tennessee, what do you see as far as processing in this state that you can compare with Texas and that might be kind of a challenge in Tennessee? Let's give kind of an overview. Well, I mean, the, the challenge in, in any state with processing uh, is, I was going to say, I, I think it starts with the, with the USDA. So if I want to sell... If I want to sell you Slim a uh, pork chop, mm-hmm. not not a half a pork or a whole, you know, pork, but if I want to sell you a pork chop, whether you live in the state of Tennessee or Texas or Alabama or Georgia, that pork chop has to have a USDA stamp on it. And so, you know, here, here in Tennessee, we have mostly small. Uh, slaughterhouses. Uh, the I, I use, in particular, I use two slaughterhouses for my animals. Uh, the pigs preferentially go to one, and the beef goes to another. I can take the pigs to the beef processor if I need to. Uh, however, you know it's a it's a two hour drive. Yeah, and th- and there's actually a a, a smaller facility 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes down the road from me, but it's so small that it's darn near impossible to get dates there. Right. And they only do USDA stamps for their own beef that they sell in the store because they have to. So that's, a, you know, there was, when, uh, when COVID hit, there, there was, there's been a, it's called the, um, oh Lord. It's not the Fair Act. It's, it's um, there was a there was an there was an uh, a bill before Congress to make intrastate meat sales by the cut exempt from USDA. And it, well, I'll have to. I remember. Yeah, I remember. It, we've we've had that conversation. I know before. we've talked about it before, and I can't. It's been so long since I talked about it because it just died on the vine, yeah. like they always do. But you know that would be. I mean, back to your question about what are the difficulties. Well, I mean, you got a number of difficulties. It's the USDA. Uh, they're not cheap to to put one together. I mean, you know, talk mm-hmm. to Cole. It's not. You know, for for a rancher that's already living on slim margins and this, that, and the other to, and you got to staff it. I mean, you know, staffing these. You know. You've got you've got a number of different issues to deal with. One, butchering as a as a artisanal practice has been relegated to it almost non-existence. Yeah, it, it's been it's been basically deleted out of our our uh, mindset for the most part. Yep. It was it, it, the 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 town butcher. Yeah, or butchers was one of the most esteemed positions mm-hmm. in in early. I would I would say historic human history. Yeah, of um, course. E- even going back to you know halal and some of these other 
you know, very ancient uh, slaughtering techniques and, and, and uh, I mean, the, the, the art of taking an animal and, and cutting it up and turning it into food is, is, a, is a lost art. Uh, you're seeing to start seeing that to reemerge a little bit. You know, I'm very excited about the scholarship program you guys are putting together. I think I think that can spill over whether it's ranching or or you know the abattoir where you're where you're learning to butcher meat. I think I think and I, and I think there's generally a hunger. Um, I'm seeing it more and more in in the younger generations. I'm I mean we're about the same age, so you know younger being you know late teens and early 20s and even some early 30s uh, folks. Let's talk about that, though, real quick, because, you know, I haven't really announced overly, but this, you know, this is kind of what this cast was for is, you know, that scholarship fund and the, the kind of need for that education to be basically um, kind of broadcast out in a different way, right? Um, and the scholarship fund and the, the amount of opportunity to basically give give a rancher who is also you know an animal producer a grass farmer uh, whatever it may be you know giving them that chance to truly educate as they as they live their life and and to to spread that information in a way that we can kind of structure in this it's an endowment scholarship trust fund um it's not that we're the first ones to do this but you know, what I did is basically put up one full Bitcoin for a base foundational layer that we can say, hey, this is for the younger generation because we have a lot of people like you, a lot of people like Cole Bolton, a lot of people like Jason Rick, a lot of people like Justin Trammell, and many, many more. Well, guess what? There's, there's proof of work that's already out there with these scholarship or internship programs. You know, it, it kind of comes into semantics, but what I want to do is let the rancher, the producer, let's say somebody like uh, Jason Rick out at Rick Ranchers. He's a first generational rancher, but guess what? He's an educator and he's very good at it. Let's give him another pillar of empowerment to where he can become an educator. He can have a scholarship in his name and he can develop a protocol program based on his protocol to where he can start passing this food intelligence on to a younger generation. Um, you were talking about Will Harris and what he has just done now. I don't think a lot of people understand, you know, his internship programs and everything that he has out there at White Oak Pasture. You want to kind of discuss that a little bit? Well, I, I don't know it in depth. I know Will offers a number of different internship programs. Right. And, uh, I, so Will's a, an interesting case uh, for, the, for your listeners that don't know. White Oak Pastures down in Bluffton, Georgia. I, I say this all the time. I, you know, it may or may not be true, but I, I, I believe it to be very, fairly close. Will Harris and White Oak, I believe, are as, as big as you could probably get mm -hmm. in terms of... of regenerative farming and uh, distribution and, and dis mar yeah. market access he, 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 he's the vertical yeah, yeah they really they, is. They, uh, the animals everything's born and raised there uh and 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 dies there right uh, you know and and you know he's got he's got an on-farm red meat abattoir he's got a red uh, on-farm uh poultry abattoir uh it's it's all there soup to nuts and and you know and they do a heck of a job down there uh so he has, in terms of his farm internship opportunities, uh, he's got a very broad and diverse uh, opportunity down there. You know, you can 
you can intern. I think they're year-long internships. I believe so. You know, yes. it's. It, I, I I almost want to use the word apprenticeship sure. because we we've moved away from that. I'm a big fan of Mike Rowe. I know you know who Mike Rowe is and all the dirty jobs guys and that thing. And if you look at, I mean, again, we've we've not, not necessarily demonized, but if you look at like uh, everyone's supposed to go to top college, you know, not trade school, not mm-hmm. not apprenticeships, but everyone's supposed to get a four year degree. And if you follow the money, you know, where's all the where, where's all the higher education lending going well it's not going to the technical schools it's not going to the no. to the you know apprenticeships it's going to the you know land grant big universities and all that all that so <clears throat> i'd like to say the institutions that have been captured that it's all captured brother yeah right? yeah i mean you there's few and far between um i listen it's funny i listen to uh i don't know if you know brett weinstein and heather Hying. Mm-hmm. um uh, the Dark Horse podcast, and yeah. uh, they had a podcast about a month ago where he talked about the significance of the number zero, and it, the context was basically there are certain things that can only exist in a world where there are zero alternatives, and he was talking about the college university campuses and all the wokeness, and, and you know to some degree you could you could you could do this you could say this about food you know there's the only way that hopefully the only way that you know these massive food manufacturers and meat packers the only way they can exist is if there are no really positive alternatives and i you know fortunately that's not the case right right? you've got you got white oak pastures and you've got you know primal pastures out on the west coast and you've got the beef initiative uh, cranking up in Texas and 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 hopefully w- well beyond that you got polyface up in Virginia so you know the more nodes that I think you build and develop the 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 harder and harder it's going to be for for that system uh-huh. to exist you know the minute you've got a non-woke university that exists in the world that's a, that's an option outside of yeah of the regular uh, fair that's available, then then the the, the the consumer will flock to that. You know, I, well, yeah. it's a no brainer. I mean, it's based on truth and food. It's 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 so simple. It's complicated to most people because you know, within the captured institutions, I cannot tell you how many times I come across very smart people, and this is not a judgment to observation, but the over analyzing of freaking mm-hmm. food fascinates me at this point in time. You know, when I when I went through Missouri, we have a small little Missouri beef initiative out there in St. Francis County, Missouri, which was the Ryan Coop. He's he's him and I've been talking since January as well. He's doing a fascinating job out there. He was actually he he met me in Nashville, but before I left Missouri, he goes, "Hey man, here's eight red eyes," and I said, "Okay, I'll take them to Nashville. I'm gonna I'm gonna go surprise these guys." I either thought you know we'd be having a steak you know dinner one night you know with Matt and the crew and rod and mills everybody that was so accommodating to me but it was the last day we'd been so busy because we we're you know having um meetings and negotiations and everything and really they were about to you know have the launching of the bitcoin park there but <laughs> those damn steaks were still in the refrigerator so well shit it's the last day i'm here so uh what of course 
what I do, I travel with a cast iron skillet. So I, it was like six o'clock in the morning. I said, shit, I can't leave these steaks here. And so I got the cast iron skillet and got some butter. And, you know, we cooked up eight ribeye steaks. And I took them down there to Bitcoin Park. And we had eight people that got to eat steak for lunch. You know how damn easy that was? It didn't even take me 20 minutes to cook eight steaks that are phenomenal yep. and it was the best food that I could have eaten that day and I didn't even have to think twice about it. I was not hungry that day. I was fine all day long. Everybody got to enjoy steak. I mean, it, it, the thing about it is, you know, you get the carnivore, you get the paleo, you get all these diets and everything. Man, it's just about eating right in a very simple way. I was listening to your boys, the Meat Mafia, the other day. They interviewed Dr. Kate Shanahan, and uh -huh. I, I had I, I forgot about her. Uh, I forget the name of her book. It was, uh, but you know, she said something that was so just spot on. It's like optimal nutrition does not change. No, it's never changed. It never has. It's amazing. It's <laughs> like for all of human history. It's never changed. What has changed is, you know, uh, our ability to manufacture things and mm -hmm. and and preserve things and and market things. But it, it was fascinating. I never thought about it from a human thriving and nutrition standpoint. It's it's never changed. No. What we need to thrive. And, and how much, and I don't even like to get into how much, but what we need, like the base level of human thriving. And when I say thrive, I mean, we're so far removed as, a, as an overall society from what the human condition can be. Yes. I mean, it is, you know, here we, we're, we're in a house that, you know, we're sitting here, it was built in 1906. Right. So people lived in this house with no refrigeration right no no running water i'm guessing maybe a well no it's probably no plumbing no i mean that's the outhouse right that's the old outhouse right over there you know and uh and they thrived yeah they thrived and they didn't have a refrigerator uh i'm sure they cured plenty of ham yeah you know back then i'm sure they cooked plenty of Beef. I, I guarantee they had a smokehouse right here. And oh, they, and they knew exactly what to do with that smokehouse. That's right. Salt, a little salt, a little smoke, and you're mm -hmm. good to go. But I, I mean, we're capable of so. I mean, here's the here's the good and the bad of the human the human conditions. Genetics. Genetics. Just genetics. Okay, is we can tolerate a lot. I mean, go to Disneyland, go to Las Vegas, go to some of these big places, and look, just be a fly on the wall and look around. We can absolutely punish our body. We can overeat, we can smoke, we can drink. I mean, we can just put the human body, we've done it, yep. through the ringer, and yet somehow still walk around on two feet. That's one side of the pillow, right? The other side of the pillow is... We used to, are we cursing on this? Yeah, you're We fine. used to hunt fucking elk with a spear. Right. Right. I mean, we used to, we still do this, but but very rarely. I mean, 
We rode horses and wagons across this country before there were roads. You know, we hopped <laughs> ships and sailed for weeks and weeks and weeks without, without, with a compass right. and no map. Yeah. And I, I just, the human, the human condition is capable of so much. And you see, you see glimmers of it today. I mean, I, you know, some of the athletes in this world today, I, I love watching these parkour guys. It's just fascinating watching like professional parkour mm-hmm. athletes. Um, you know, you see just professional athletes in, in every spectrum of life and what they're able to accomplish. We have that capacity. And then on the other end, we can somehow still survive carrying around 400 pounds, you know, eating Doritos and chips for a living. And so we got it, man. We got to get, we got to get back to. Well, well, we have to quit asking for permission to be healthy anymore. And that's basically what this comes down to. I'm, I'm sick of it. You know, from the very beginning, I said, I'm putting my fucking foot down here. We don't have to have permission to try to be healthy. We're, you know, as far as, you know, what we're, um, going up against in, if you cannot truly see the deception and the corruption within just the marketing itself, you you talk about marketing, top to bottom, I, I, you know, we we've known each other a while now and i and i'm still catching up to all the vernacular but you sort of get into the blue pill red pill orange is orange pill orange pill yeah. yeah, is the bitcoin yeah. and um I, I think i've told you this months ago i didn't realize i you know i, I mentioned this lens i was looking at mm-hmm. i was looking at food right and just food and i got to tell you shine that lens anywhere mhm Top to bottom corrupt. Oh yeah. Top to bottom. Whether it's the financial system, whether it's the uh, the pharmaceutical and and medical system, whether it's the food system. You know, my 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 attention, my my mountain that I'm trying to really gain more intelligence on is in the skin health, skin care world right now. Right. Uh, top to bottom. It's it's absolutely. Corrupt, and you know, unfortunately, your average everyday consumer. I mean, we all suffer from sort of laziness. We'd rather someone else tell us what to do or think or what to eat. Complacency, and you know, there's some comfort in that. I mean, you know, I'll give you. You know, if Rob Wolf called me tomorrow and said, "Hey, man, I'm thinking we need to eat this way. I'm this is the little tweak I'm Mm -hmm. I'm making in, in in how I'm eating." I'm like, "Cool, man. I'm in." Yeah, like, like, you know, here's an authority figure, proof of work. You know, I know that's sure. a big concept we keep talking about. It's proof of work. Well, Rob, you know, Rob's a proof of work right. when it comes to nutrition and athletic performance. Um, you know, I'm looking to you and some of the other guys that you're introducing me to, to 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 guide me through this Bitcoin sure. phenomenon. Well, we had that discussion today, you know, it, 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 you know, you don't lead with Bitcoin. This is not what it's about. You know, you, you're talking about taking a deep dive and looking at food and money and everything. You know, that you have to do that. You have to have a decentralized mindset. 
Yep. That's the most important thing right now, especially within the Bitcoin space, even for Bitcoiners to understand what this truly is about right now is a decentralized mindset that basically understands and gives you a roadmap to where you can go down to the source of the seed of anything that you want to look at. You're going to be able to target that and dissect it down to the microbe level. You know, if that's what it is, that little particle of truth that you're searching for, you can find it in a decentralized mindset lets you do that. Okay. Well, what happens whenever you have that decentralized mindset? You really do look at money and you understand how the debased U.S. dollar has been leveraged against the American farmer, rancher, producer. Once you can kind of understand that, you see the value, the true store of value in which Bitcoin can offer. Um, you know, and it's not it's not something it's not the stock market. It is not. It's, it's a form of leverage that our grandparents knew about in a lot of ways. And what we what they didn't have was this technology in which we're presenting to the American farmer and rancher right now. It's an educational process. It is something that you don't just jump into. But by understanding, whenever you start educating, let's say, the Bitcoin crowd, um, and when you start basically cow pilling or ranch pilling the Bitcoin crowd as they're orange pilling you, Man, it becomes something that's symbiotic. Pig, pig pilling. Pig pilling, exactly. Pig pilling, uh, foul pilling. Foul pilling doesn't sound any good. But, you know, we'll, we'll go with pig pilling. That's a new one. That's your trademark. So you get to be the pig piller in Tennessee. Pig piller. <laughs> well, you know what? I, you mentioned something, and I do, want, I do want to talk about this real quick because I think it's important. Okay. Technology. Sure. Okay. Um, I, I want your listener to understand. So... We can we can feed this country. Yes, we can. Regenerative, hundred percent. Okay, we can build soil. We can do this, and and the reason we can is because of the technology. And and, and people are going to laugh here, but when I say technology, uh, there's 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 two pieces to this. Okay, there's the technology that allows direct access to the consumer, right? And direct link up. I mean, that's a that's a big part of what you're doing uh, with the beef initiative, and I absolutely love it. Is there are there are now better, faster, more efficient mechanisms to connect the rancher mm-hmm. to the consumer. Hundred percent. Over here, on the farming side, and, and again, this is going to sound really lowbrow for you techies out there. I mean, you know, I've got an iPhone, and you've got an iPhone. People think that's technology. In the ranching and animal husbandry world, mm-hmm. to be able to have Portable, durable, lightweight electric fencing, mm-hmm. and portable solar-powered lightweight uh, uh, energizers, right? Um, stored charge energizers. So I, you know, we talked about my upbringing. When I grew up, we we were across town from the farm, but we had some goats and we had some chickens and you know this, that, and the other. And we had an electric fence. And this is, you know, this is 30, 35 years ago. That was a constant charge electric fence. Yeah. So what does that mean? Well, it means that if you don't take care of the grass around your fence, at some point a blade of grass is going to touch that fence and it's going to kill the blade of grass. It's going to dry it out and it's going to light it on fire. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, again, this sounds like so, such basic level stuff, but the energizers, I, I took you around the farm today. You saw the pigs and you saw the sheep and uh, the ducks. And we went out and saw some of the cows. 
but these energizers today, they store a charge and then they release it. You know, it's a computer chip that allows this program to run. Well, what, what does that do? Well, it allows me to, to act as the predator of these animals. In, in other words, I'm, I'm the gas pedal in the brake. In, in natural systems, animals never stay anywhere for very long, especially prey animals like bison or sure. beef, because the predators will get them. Well, we've removed the predators from these animals for right. all intents and purposes. You know, you, you got an occasional coyote or mountain lion or whatever, but our cows don't don't worry too much about predation. Sure. But we still have to we still have to help mimic these natural systems, and I, you know again for your listener the technology at a farmer's disposal now to man you could not run pigs the way I run pigs 30, 40 years ago no impossible you, you couldn't do it no. because uh, first of all it, it's not a stored charge it's a it's a constant charge so anything that touches it is going to catch fire you run pigs in the woods. So what did you do? Well, you'd have a, a permanent pig paddock, right? And that's where they'd stay until until they were done. And it's it's heavy, it's cumbersome, uh, it's a physical barrier. For those of your listeners that don't understand pigs, there is no such thing as a pig-proof physical barrier because they got all day and they're strong and they'll eventually find a way out. But the point is, we can... We can push into these nooks and crannies and marginal land. I mean, that just lays fallow and stale. And I, you know, if you see what animal impact can do to an ecosystem, proper animal impact over over weeks and months, let alone a full season, mm-hmm. it is it is absolutely it just it restores it restores so much of your sense of like how the natural world should work because it's. You know, it's destruction and rejuvenation, and destruction and rejuvenation. So anyway, the, the, the technology piece there, there's to, again, twofold, is we have all these amazing systems now that allow consumers to connect with, with ranchers mm-hmm. and, 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 and facilitate payment and facilitate shipment. And I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, I, our, our Faro brand, you know, we're... We're pushing, we give people a 15% discount. We're pushing people into a subscription model. They can cancel at any time. They can, they can alter it at any time, you know, month, every other month, every quarter. But the point is, is the more automated we, we allow the consumer to make their experience with us, then the more in real time we can make a fresh product and get it to them. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you know, there's no preservatives in our creams anyway, but we were talking before we hopped online about like stuff like beef jerky. Yeah. You know, beef jerky is amazing. If you get, if you're getting beef jerky at the, at the, you know, gas station, <laughs> it is chalk. First of all, it's probably been on the shelf for a you couple months. You get an months. insulin spike just eating beef uh, jerky. Oh, sugar, you, sugar and yeah. all the preservatives and all that junk. But you know, if, if you've got if you're directly connected with your consumer and they are a consumer and they're on some type of a subscription model, then me as a producer, whether it's beef or pork or jerky or skin food or you name it, I can, I can then meet that customer exactly where they are in real time. And I mean, hell slim, the logistics are figured out. I've sent, 
Pharaoh in our development, I've it's been in 48 states, including Alaska and Hawaii. It took United States Postal Service. My cream was in Hawaii in three days. Wow, that's impressive. Well, I mean, it's yeah, it's the system. Well, it, it, and that's that's interesting. Let's let's go back to the word technology, and, and let's go back to Bitcoin. Yep. Okay, let's talk about technology stacks within basically the regenerative farm. Just say the North American rancher, as we know it, they have a lacking of understanding technology in a different realm. They can understand exactly what you talked about, electric fencing, solar powered, you know, blocking off regenerative, rotational. There's so many things that you leverage off of that, just one technology right there. Well, okay, one thing that we have not been able to do is the regenerative farmer and rancher, you're a busy guy, it's 24 seven, it yep. never stops. And so by saying that, what we need to under start, start understanding is that there's new technology out there that the beef initiative is going to be bringing and we're going to call it you know the new technology stack i asked you today i said are you ready to start accepting bitcoin and you went into an apologetic mode it's like well i just don't understand and i okay do, do you know how to rebuild a transmission well you might but you still drive a car but what we're going to do here is it's not about truly understanding but it's having faith in technology and being willing to be educated on that so basically what you're going to do now and the beef initiative is going to help you with your te technology stack you're going to start set accepting bitcoin for your products and guess who's going to set that up for you we're going to set it up because we are the beef initiative and once again yeah, it's not about beef. This is about a lifestyle. This is about actually giving market access to your product to where you can ship it across the world and nobody and you'd have to you don't want to have you do not have to ask permission on that peer-to-peer -peer exchange. If that's all you know about Bitcoin is that you and I right now could swap your product for some Bitcoin without asking any permission and you learning how to do that, isn't it that exactly how our grandparents used to trade? Isn't that how they bartered? They came to each it. other. They came to each other with proof of work. They respected each other. And what they said is, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust because now we have verified through a pro protocol that is allowing us to have a store of value in our time and our management of our money and our wealth. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. What, what percentage of inflation are they lying about right now? 8.3? Let's go up to 20-something. Why do they take CPI when they take food out of CPI? Why do they gas basically? Too, right? Well, what gas? You know, it's it's not part of inflation. What is it? Four seventy here, you know, a gallon, something like that. You know, diesel six thousand six six dollars a gallon. What people need to understand that we need to leverage technology in every way. Bitcoin is technology. Bitcoin is a store of value. Bitcoin is leverage. Bitcoin is not having to ask permission anymore. And so, like you said, we have the logistics, we have the distribution, and now we have that in beef the same way. We can ship beef across the United States right now, at least the 48 states, you know, and that, that's something that's a little bit harder because beef has to be, you know, shipped frozen. But what we're doing is we're creating market access in a way that our grandparents used to do it, but now we can distribute it across our nation. And we can do it with a protocol and we can do it with 
basically a vertical integration into everything that is processing and producing in logistics and supply and distribution. Well, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, it's like if, if Rob Wolf calls me and tells me I need to make a tweak to my sure. nutrition, I'm going to say, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. Listen, man, you're, you're my guy. I mean, you um, tell me, you tell me I need to, I, I, I know I need this. You do need this, uh, but I, people I are waiting. I, I mean, want it. They're waiting and they're waiting. And what's, what's fascinating about this is that once you get going in this and we start, you know, making these transactions, let me give you a little, uh, you know, what, what has just happened in the beef initiative. Uh, I already said this, but I'm going to say it again. A couple of days ago, I had a podcast with Cole and Jason when I was in the Bitcoin TV studios there in uh, Nashville at Bitcoin Park. And old Cole being Cole, he's like, well, you know, this week I just noticed I was looking at my books <laughs> the way Cole is. And he goes, he has now successfully became basically a full coiner by trading beef for bitcoin oh that's so bitcoin cool. for beef and he did it without losing his ass he did it with having some uh understanding of how to steward and how to basically own his bitcoin and he learned it all through the beef initiative he learned it through people like michael with oshi the oshi app he learned it with JP, my business partner. We've innovated this period of time in less than six months. We have a rancher that now is basically a full coiner because he got to do it his way. He That's didn't have cool. to ask permission. That's so cool. And he's, he's thriving right now. So now, okay, on the beef side, and I know Jason's coming right up behind him. And, uh, and, you know, Jason's doing it in his own business model, model way because he's not do, doing uh, beef boxes through the website. You know, Jason goes out there and he delivers his beef because of his logistics, his geography, everything that he does. He's, he's, he's such a de different rancher than Cole, but they're exactly the same thing. So now the challenge is going to be because everybody's going to make you uh, kind of keep, keep you responsible and show the proof of work is how, how fast are you going to be able to acquire Bitcoin by selling your product? So what it is, it's, it's a new goal. It is. It's, it's a, a new, new goal, goal, but you know what? You're saving, you're, you're saving a store of value that you didn't have a year ago. And once this thing starts going and we we're at the point where the education is there, you're going to be taking care of white glove approach and you're not going to have any stresses. And guess what? You have people in the beef initiative that you can call anytime. Cole Bolton, Jason Rick, Michael with Oshi, JP, me. I mean, the list is unlimited. And you want to talk about being able to innovate during times of mass prohibition of uh, being able to cre create a really good business model to where you can have a store of value anymore? Well, I think that we're about to punch through something a lot of people don't understand. And so... This, uh, this Tennessee thing that we got going on here. Okay, let's look at your connections in Tennessee. We need to look at the, the logistics of Tennessee. We need to look at the basically the politicians of Tennessee. We need to look on how one thing that I'm very excited right now is the land management in the state of Tennessee. And how if we tap into the land management and the understanding and the awareness of the uh, land management in Tennessee, that there's a lot of things out there that many people don't understand. Sometimes it, the energy is cheaper here. We have nuclear en energy in Tennessee. We have uh, natural gas blow off. We have guys that are already using methane 
to uh, maybe do some mining in Tennessee. So there's so much that's unlimited that we're about to kick off, especially with the, uh, the conference in Colorado. The education that we're going to bring at that three-day conference, I, I, I don't think we've seen it yet. So you guys, if you have not got your tickets, get your tickets at beefinitiative.com and get signed up for the Colorado conference. It's going to be coming up fast. Do not wait around. Um, we're going to start announcing and really, really plug in all the speakers and really start formulating the narrative and the call to action that you'll have whenever you leave that conference. So it's going to have we're going to have three day fest of food, of uh, education, of good spirits, of uh, a lot of like minded people coming together to solve some problems that we're going to collectively do that together. I'm going to be here until I go to, I believe, North Carolina next. And so what I'm going to do while I'm here, um, we're going to be announcing, formally announcing the Texas to Tennessee barn raising tour. It's what I'm doing. It's what Texas Slim is doing. And we are bringing education. I'm going to be doing these audio um, recordings each day. A lot of times it'll just be myself. But you and I, for the next three days, uh, Charles, we're going to have a damn good time here in Tennessee. Let's talk about what we're going to do. Oh, gosh. So let's see. We got uh, we got the Gourmet Caveman coming in. Yes. Uh, coming in hot uh, tomorrow. We're going to start getting some steaks and various things uh, thawed out. Uh, we're going to we're going to make an appearance. We got uh, we're going to get to see Miss the lovely uh, Carmen Studer tomorrow evening. Uh, along with Carlisle, her her daughter. Uh, I think we're going to go on their podcast. I think you're making a trip down to see our mutual uh, legal uh, expert in Chattanooga maybe tomorrow. You spent some time in Knoxville. Uh, Sunday is going to be a great day. So across the street, we've got a little lakeside church service on Sundays. Uh, very casual, but uh, I wanted to introduce you and, and a number of other people uh, in and around the neighborhood to some folks here at the lake. And so we're going to go to church and then, uh, I think the gourmet caveman is going to be, uh, feeding, the, feeding the masses, uh, following, following church on Sunday. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get some good video content. We're going to do little snippets of a, a video content of everything he's cooking up and I'll just do like a little uh, postings to Twitter all day and kind of tease everybody. And then we can kind of bring everybody along for the the little party there. <laughs> yeah, so. I think it'll be a lot of fun. So yeah, and just you know, just getting an opportunity to spend some more time with you and uh, you know, brainstorming. It was great to get you out to the farm for a little while today, and and uh, we'll get you out there for some for some more fun and drive you around. I want to show you a little bit more of the area. Uh, it is you know, it's a special place here. And, Yes, it is. So, and we're just getting started. And on that note, we've been running about an hour and a half so far. It's getting pretty late here in the Eastern Time Zone. I still got to do some writing. You got to get. I got farm home. tours in the yeah, morning, man. You got farm tours in the morning, but this won't be the last time that uh, we hear of uh, Charles. So, Charles, right now, people that have just listened to this, where are they going to find you? Who do you want to plug? And uh, what is the call to action you're going to tell people to do? Because they want to know more. Oh, goodness. Well, so uh, you can uh, you can find me at pharaoh.life. Uh, you can plug in pharaoh.life forward slash beef initiative. Uh, you get a 20% off uh, your first purchase with uh, with pharaoh skincare. That's, that's the best place to find me. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Pharaoh Life, Pharaoh Skin, 
but uh, but yeah go to the website there's some fun videos on there and we got some testimonials and uh, would love you know for anybody that's interested in trying a, a preservative free chemical free 100% regenerative agricultural uh, product uh, it's uh, we said it at the very beginning the lard works in mysterious ways I, <laughs> I, I want to encourage people to give it a try and and, and uh, again you know you're, we, we would lo- love the support and appreciate it but yeah pharaoh.life forward slash beef initiative it'll slide you right into our uh, our website and and uh, 20% off uh, anything in the store and uh, I think there's another 15% off if you sign up for a subscription so uh, yeah, that's awesome. And and moving forward, you know, we're gonna affiliate, you know, each other. You'll be able to find Faro during the with the Beef Initiative. Um, one thing also is you guys really start paying attention here within probably a month. We're gonna have uh, have you uh, set up, and you'll be accepting Bitcoin. I, I'm excited about that, Slim. I you know I I had the distinct pleasure of meeting. Uh, Michael out in Kerrville uh-huh. and we talked about it. He tweeted me the other day. He's like, uh, are you ready? And I was like, well, I guess and he's like, well, we're close. And so it sounds like, uh, we're there now. So we are there. Uh, I'm excited about that. I, I, again, I, I know it's something I, I, I want to do it. Uh, and I'm just, I'm grateful that you guys have the know-how to shepherd me through that process. Hey man, we've been working hard. It's been a, it's been a tough haul, but this is about innovation. I've been through innovation and technology before. It seems very natural. Uh, it is frustrating. It's a daily grind, but we're there. We're having so much success. You know, Cobalt in, in, down in Austin has been phenomenal to work with. You know, I, I'm so happy and proud to have him now as a friend and somebody that we can really rely on to really help us kick off, you know, even being more grand and becoming the beef industry in the state of Texas. Well, guess what? We're going to use some of his same models here in Tennessee. And I cannot speak enough for basically Jason Rick Rick Ranches either in Colorado. Uh, the North Folk Valley is beautiful in Colorado. Uh, if you've never been there, it is a vacation spot. People, millionaires go here to have their vacations. Well, we're going to all show up together and have our own little vacation on his ranch. And there's so much that is, you know, that it's really exciting that's going on. One thing that's uh, going to be really, really nice is being able to to announce the scholarship, formally formally announce the scholarship endowment fund whenever we get to Colorado at the Colorado Beef Initiative Conference. Um, this is what the Texas Tennessee Barn Raising Tour is about. We're raising a barn together. And, you know, we're going out on the road. I'm going out. I told everybody I was going to put 10,000 miles on the truck. Well, I've got 2,000 down, but uh, I haven't even started yet. This is the beginning point of this tour, and I've been on the road for 10 days. So I've kind of been getting ready to to kind of launch this. So there's a a link here uh, that's on the Substack, how you access this today. Go to the Texas Tennessee tour and uh, the barn raising tour. You know, let's donate to that scholarship trust fund. Let's uh, donate just a little bit of fiat if you got it to some gas. Maybe I don't know. I've been, <laughs> I've been, I've been going strong for two years. But you know, this is about education. This is about creating nodes. This is about having a collective open source mindset that we can all kind of do together. So, Charles, thank you. We're going to, I'm going to let you get home. I'm going to start writing and, uh, you know, you and I will talk tomorrow and then, uh, everybody else, you guys will be hearing Charles probably again on, on Sunday. So Charles, thank you.
My pleasure, Slim. Good to see you, man. Yeah, you, thanks for having me, brother. Peace, everybody. There we go.